0: Hello, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. In this episode, we speak with Tazin Syed. Tazin is a dear friend, a lifelong sports fan, and has worked with some of the biggest names in sports in her career in sports marketing. She was a part of the ICC teams managing the ICC World Cup and the Women's T20 World Cup in 2019 and 2020. Her past experiences also include heading the digital team for the Rajasthan Royals, and has also worked with brands such as the IPL, FIFA, WWE, and Formula One. We discuss the state of women in the sports industry and cricket in India in general, and what can be done to improve it. We also discuss the IPL, how it makes its revenues, what are its marketing strategies, and what steps needs to be taken by the sports leads across the world in a post-COVID era. Let's dive right into the conversation. Hi, this is Karan. Hi, this is Mohit. Hey, this is Aditya. And welcome to the Boiled Egg
1: Podcast. Okay, people, so we have a new guest for this week's episode and I have a very old friend of mine who I've known for almost 10 years now, who is from the sports marketing space in the digital, with a lot of experience in digital as well. So please welcome Tazeen with us on the Wild podcast.
2: Wow. Thank you, Aditya. It has really been 10 years, man
1: yes it's yeah i think it's been and uh
2: yeah. interestingly since you said digital we at i actually stopped you on foursquare and that's how we that's how we ended up knowing each other
3: oh my god foursquare, <laughs> foursquare makes a comeback <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think we were one of those two users in India yeah. back then <laughs> on Foursquare, right? like one from Hyderabad, one from Bombay.
2: Yeah, and I had come to Hyderabad for the very first time in life and that's when I started stalking people on Foursquare and it was only Aditya, nobody else in Hyderabad on that platform.
3: <laughs> he was the mayor of every place.
2: <laughs> exactly. But I
1: don't know if that's a good thing or bad, but yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, so let's, uh, you know, Tazin, why don't you sort of introduce yourself, tell us like, tell us in a very in a quick brief of what you've done, what, you know, your, your story, basically.
2: Perfect. Yes. Um. So my journey in sports has been interesting. I don't think 10 years ago, I thought I'll be doing sports. It so happened that I used to be extremely passionate about live tweeting about sports for some reason on Twitter. And, yeah. and one of the agencies back then, they wanted somebody who could come on board for sports content. And the rest is history. That's how my journey started with digital and sports. It was just about my Twitter profile giving me an opportunity and making me realize, okay, I can do this as a career. But having said that, sports has always been something that I have personally been passionate about. Like in India, I mean, if somebody says they've not grown up, grown up with cricket or such, I think they're lying. Like we all grew up with seeing those things on on our TV. And in, and I used to be like a big follower of test cricket for some reason. I don't know why, but as a child, I used to love test cricket, sit in front of TVs for hours and watch that watch that format of the game. So anyway, that's where my journey in sports overall started. And I don't think so I can think about any other field right now. And I'm glad that I actually chose digital because back in 2010, when I started my career, digital was just uh, just starting up in India. So for me, it became an interesting challenge because there was nobody to learn from as such. It was more that you are forming the trends, you are understanding the uh, what was happening on platforms, and you are paving the path for the future of digital and sports in India. So that's how it happened.
1: Got it. So, uh, so since I mean, you mentioned that you know you, you were involved with, or uh, you were view- watching, viewing, you were a you know viewer of sports pretty much all your life. Uh, what sort of you know made you do that right was it since i mean largely sports is still at least in india it's still largely considered a, a male driven activity largely right so was it influence of people at home or was it just by choice or you know how did you as a woman how do you you know how did you sort of end it there and what do you think uh, you know how how could one sort of bring in more women to be a part of the whole sports universe in general
2: right yeah so um one observation that I had actually made back in my school days was also that, like, I wanted to play cricket or cricket in my school, and there and I was in an all girls school, and there were no cricket teams or even uh, badminton or any other sport. It was more about athletics, at the most, but and running. That's about it. And I realized that how less the opportunities were. Uh, not that I was too good at playing any of those sports; I sucked at them. But uh, I knew that I wanted to do. I wanted to like do something in. Uh, make my career in the field the other aspect also was yes there's definitely a massive influence from my family I grew up in a joint family we live with like 35 people under one roof and yes that's how I grew up and every Sunday we used to play sports and good thing in my family was we didn't see men or women when it came to sports I used to I used to be very good at fielding while growing up and my and my family my nickname is John T Rhodes And uh, Uh, so for me, these memories became very crucial and an integral part of me as well. So it just became like sort of a very uh, genuine inclination towards the sport, uh, towards sports in general. And one good thing since childhood, and and I'm very happy that my influence was not only cricket. Like, I think I grew up knowing Michael Schumacher before I know Sachin Tendulkar. Like Formula One is a sport that I'm absolutely obsessed with even today. So even that, actually, I think knowing different sports, understanding different sports helped me a lot to understand the whole ecosystem as well. Now, coming to women, I would say I've had a very, very tough time making a breakthrough in the field. My uh, first couple of years, I was working with agencies. So I just handpicked those agencies who had at least one brand that was sports. So it was not technically that I was doing only sports. I started off with working with FMCG, music, entertainment, everything. Now I remember that I must have sent I had I had no reference in the field and back then you're right there were hardly any any women in the field as well I remember sending at least 100 emails minimum on on an average to like you know at that time it was company websites and just sending emails writing to people and one day I got a call from uh, this company called professional management group which is a Sunil Gavaskar's agency and they literally called me a year later. Then when, what I had written an email to them. Uh, I I wrote at least a year ago. I had totally forgotten that I had even written to them. And I went. I interviewed with them, and I was literally the first female they were interviewing ever. They had only they had only men in their team. Everywhere I've interviewed, I've always been asked one question, and it's been very standard even today, after 10 years in the field, that are you in the field because you like the field or you like, or do you like players? And it's so incredibly uh, frustrating to answer that question every time, but it's the sad reality that people ask these it's, questions.
1: It's pretty much like, you know, It's I mean, the only parallel I can draw is where we have these... Uh, these days, we have a lot of women um, hosts on TV, right? Like pre-match, post-match and stuff, right? So I think that's the same question probably they they get asked about i am assuming most of the times and i think people also largely assume that you know they are on the tv just because they are pretty or you know they, they look
2: but i think that's they, also they the better. perception that they're trying to create right like even female yeah, yeah, hosts yeah. it's always about overtly sexualizing them rather than using them for their knowledge yeah, and true. it's just sad so yeah so coming back to the point of women in the industry i think i was lucky on one front that i met quite a few mentors along the way like while there are far and few women out there, I ended up writing to them, talking to them, ensuring that I try to network with people. And they gave me enough tips to to how to behave in the industry. When I say behave, it's very uh, interesting that every woman in the industry told me, don't, when you are talking to men, when you're talking to cricketers, when you're talking to athletes, just ensure you're not dressed up in a manner which gives a very different perception about mm. you. And I don't think so. You have to think about all of these things about in any other field. But like I and then um, the other thing also is that even today, you don't see enough women. I have women who've just started on the career who've come to me and have broken down in front of me and told me that, you know, men are not taking me seriously or men have been asking me questions or not like, you know, not taking my viewpoint. And it's just it's just sad that even today it's happening. But yes, the dynamics are changing. And that's a great thing.
1: Is this got to do more with uh, India or do you think this is a trend across pretty much since you have worked in different regions and, you know, different places?
2: So I would say that that in India, it's much more because somewhere in India, sports is seen more of an ego when it comes to men. Like it's about my my male group talking about sports, it's about discussion, it's about that, you know, the whole boy gang coming together. So I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like that sacred space for men in India, and they kind of are not able to see women in that space. While it happens internationally, but if the frequency I think in India is much more like every day, I have to give at least 30% extra than I what I would usually give in my work day. But while I was working internationally, I didn't have to prove myself and my knowledge about sports. So that's the difference.
1: So I think one is, uh, you know, maybe you can maybe you can talk a little like just a few more uh, lines on uh, how is it being a sports woman sports person? You know, what's your perspective?
3: Before, Before we jump into that, I had one question that was connected to the previous question, which is how men perceive like sports to be a safe space for their discussions as you said it was like a thing of ego uh it is still a large uh, part of it it still does exist in india but it's also there across the world to a certain degree and does that influence how, uh, how women are paid in sports
2: yes so when when right now everybody on ground are talking about equal pay definitely there is a massive difference in pay even in management not just athletes when it comes to women when it comes to sports sorry and i think from in all fronts, we are trying to demand salaries, and I've always been actually been taken not taken seriously as to why I've been asked asking that much salary after so many years in the field. And at the same time, I've seen men with lesser experience getting more salaries in workplaces. So this is very evident.
1: Got it. Right. I was just saying that if you can share a, share your thoughts on how is it to be a you know a, a woman sports sportswoman right Just, uh, just what do you think their share of experience would be i mean if if you would have any insight into that uh
2: in what front like from a workplace front a point of view
1: yeah like i mean how like for example take like you were actively involved with the the women's world cup yes. right uh, yes it was recently canned i think right because of uh, covid no
2: no no that is uh-huh. the men's world cup that's canceled
1: oh sorry yeah when, this got when done, i like, had yeah, uh, gone
2: for women's only in australia yeah
1: Sorry, sorry, my bad. Yeah. So since you were, I mean, since you were very closely working with the Women's World Cup in Australia, I just thought I will get your perspective on how is it to be a woman sportsman, you know, a sportswoman. My bad, a sportswoman in general for these folks, right? I mean, I'm sure it's fairly very different from being a, a member of a, a the men's cricket team. absolutely. And yeah, you know, yeah. always it's the same sport, the yeah. same level, the same. Uh, cup that you are playing for but you know there are again very clear differentiators yeah. so how is it perceived by the you know the team members
2: yeah so when it comes to women athletes i think the struggle over there is also quite similar especially in terms of first the struggle starts with childhood itself is convincing your families and parents that, okay, you want to get into the field of sports, especially in, in sports like cricket and in countries like India. I remember I was doing this grassroots level program for women cricketers two years ago and literally every, every girl who was there and who was a budding cricketer and were playing for the state said the same thing that, you know, we do not have support from our families. We are either, we are here at this camp because, I mean, we've not told our families that we are even here. So I think first step is the struggle of even convincing someone that, you know, they can be an athlete. I think the number two problem that any woman athlete plays and uh, faces, and this is, I think, across the world, is the lack of infrastructure. While you do have a lot of grounds where there are training grounds, but not many are there specifically for women cricketers. And anyway, the grounds that are reserved for them are in shambles. They are in a really, really bad state. Then the number three point comes is also the lack of tournaments. Now, see, take COVID as the prime example, right? How many tournaments in terms of women, uh, men's cricket have has already started? We've already seen England-Ireland, England-Pakistan, England-West Indies. But there is none being planned in terms of women's cricket apart from uh, what IPL said they're going to play like exhibition matches sort of a thing in UAE right before the men's IPL. So the priority to women's sports has always been very low, especially in subcontinent region. But in US and Australia, it's still far better. And I can tell that from experience, especially seeing the Australian culture, having been stuck there for the last five months and working on the Women's World Cup as well. They take their sport seriously and they take women's sports very, very seriously. Where would you hear that the finals of a World Cup, Women's World Cup had over 86,000 people at MCG. It was almost full. And it was just incredible to see that support and players or from all teams were just crying they were emotional because even they didn't realize they did get that kind of support and these are top players who've played for their for their countries at really high levels so, I think it's also fine. And, and the last few, obviously, sponsorships. Like, um, women cricket doesn't get enough sponsors. And it just like, I mean, men's, I, I mean, I'm not comparing them to men's cricket, but at least I think they can get much. I mean, over the years, women's cricket has become far better, be it in soccer, be it in um, cricket, be it in, uh, be it in rugby. All of these uh, sports are doing far well. And I think still sponsorship is not seeing that kind of value for women's cricket. So overall, I think that's where the hamper has happening for women cricketers or women athletes in general, because there's not enough money for them to continue.
3: You bring about an interesting point about how uh, women's sports are treated differently in Australia. Do you have any insight on what Australia does differently?
2: So one of the things that I've observed there is women's women's sports and men's sports are not seen at two different tangents. They treat them pretty much mm-hmm. equally. So when I say that there is a fixtures, of, there's a fixtures happening. So there's, there's fixtures happening. The equal number of fixtures happening for men, equal number of fixtures happening for women, in terms of money put into the sports. There's equal number of, if not equal, but at least similar number of uh, money being put into both the sports, and uh, even at a school and a school and uh, college level. Women are encouraged to participate in events and they do have a lot of scholarship programs as well for women to participate in these sports. The other thing is also from a management level as well. In Australia, I've seen more women being in the sports industry actually than any other country. And that's a very positive sight to see. There are more women journalists there who are very, very well known, which again is not seen everywhere. So that's a good thing that Australia is doing that at least in terms of perception, they're managing that well
1: so it's larger basically it's the whole ecosystem ecosystem right? absolutely
2: and you need that if you do not have the ecosystem this perception is not going to change
3: so connected to the previous point you had mentioned australia had done like a bunch of different things uh, for uh, to uplift women's sports do you think they're done all of these things in parallel or one thing was done first and it was sequenced an example being should there be an incentive structure at the top where brands and companies and governments say that, hey, there's this big pile of money and opportunity and incentive for women to come into sports. So opening the funnel on top Mm -hmm. or change culture at the bottom where uh, parents, teachers are encouraged to push women into sports so that brands and other companies and governments are more interested in investing in them. Or do you think they they can happen in parallel?
2: Okay. So with Australia, right, one of the things is that culturally they're very Mm -hmm. ingrained when it comes to sports. So I don't think that, you know, it required that kind of efforts that India would require because India requires a perception change completely. Or even like some other countries as well, even Pakistan for the matter of fact. So with Australia, it was about getting the other processes in place. Like you mentioned about getting uh, women women in the leadership teams. It's about getting women involved in more sports, not just in sports, but in women involved in more sports. We've reached a stage in the sports industry right now, that we do not have the time to work on one aspect and Mm -hmm. then work on the next aspect. We are already in the revolution phase at the moment. And I feel till we don't work in tandem, it's not going to make a difference. For example, if I want to tell a young girl in school today that, you know, you can think of sports as a career, but how many icons do I have to show her in the sports industry right now? Like hardly any, in fact, none for the matter of fact that I can even put forth a example to her. So till you do not get more women in the leadership, you're not going to be able to uh, influence the bottom. Till you don't get the bottom sorted, you won't have the influx of future talent in the industry as well. So in my opinion, both needs to work in tandem. Say, for example, I've seen a lot of women who are in the industry like me. Giving up on the careers after a lot of after, like, say, ten years, twelve years, because trust me, it is quite quite frustrating to just work in this. Continue keep working in the field and proving yourself every single day, in spite of knowing about the field much more than your peers. So, and then obviously getting paid less because this field is in general pays less than any other field, even to a man. So, I think. What I would love to see right now is actually getting more women in leadership. I am fed up of going into boardrooms and just being like, say, a one, the only woman in the boardroom or talking only to men. Uh, for example, look at IPL. How many women who are not owners do you see in the auction room? None. Like everybody, you'll see mm-hmm. Nita Ambani sitting on the table. You will probably see Juhu Chawla sitting on the table. But everybody, every single person in that room is a man and till that visual is not changed i don't think so we can motivate younger girls to take this up as a lucrative career
1: so since we have uh, the ipl season around now and you know i think that's something everybody is looking forward to considering uh, where we are today yes and you have spent good amount of time in the same space what you know what are your thoughts quick thoughts and uh, how does ipl you know really make money and what's the revenue breakdown like for uh, ipl do you have any insight on that
2: uh, yes so IPL the hap- is happening in Dubai this year. I think it's quite commendable that uh, they've been managing to pull the season off, given the situation that we all are in. And uh, it is going to obviously have a huge impact for them uh, on their revenue. You can already see that Vivo uh, has already pulled off from the title sponsorship, though for a completely different reason there. But uh, even teams have been taking a hit because a simple thing, right? Like all our sp- all the sponsors for IPL are Indian brands. For them, the sponsorship revenue becomes lower if the if the tournament is not happening in India. There are a lot of reasons because A, uh, it's only hap- I mean, when it's happening in Dubai, the only exposure they get is broadcast. Otherwise, brands end up spending a lot of money on events, fan meet and greets, dealership events, for example, or even uh spending on marketing efforts like your hoardings and stuff. Other than that, the revenue is also taken a hit because it's COVID brands are already not their earnings are already low so they are also reducing their sponsorship efforts at the moment so definitely the overall industry is taking a hit but having said that IPL is a massive money maker not only for the sports industry but for also for the Indian economy in general so
1: so so do you think Sears IPL would have lesser interest from partnerships of team owners or brand partnerships that you know they might strike or do you think otherwise where Since brands have not been doing much because of COVID, you know, they will sort of try and capitalize on this event now to get their new products, new offerings out because it's a given that everybody is going to be glued to their televisions now.
2: Yeah. So in this case, it also depends upon what kind of sponsors you have on board, right? So if you have sponsors that are more traditionally based or B2B companies, I think those sponsors will definitely reduce their efforts because for them, probably digital is not a massive medium, nor is is broadcast in this case. But say brands, like you were mentioning, brands who are seeing value in newer mediums of communication and were looking to launch themselves on digital platforms, they will still continue their efforts. But the other thing also is it's going to be very challenging. Everything on IPL in terms of content hinges on players. Now, given the security and the whole biosecure bubble that they are planning to create, you don't know how much content teams are going to be able to manage out of mm-hmm. their players. So it's a very challenging situation. I think it's only time will tell as to what kind of security protocols teams will have once they get here and what they will, what they will manage to do.
1: And in general, just out of curiosity, yeah. in general, how do teams or, uh, you know, how do uh, how does IPL or any team or any brand track the ROI on their monies, right? Like, so if I have put in X amount of rupees, X amount of uh, money on a team or, you know, backing their jersey or, you know, getting them to do snippets for me or ads for me, how do I really track this ROI? Is there like a, What's the benchmarking, or is there like a, a mechanism, or a you know something that IPL has derived?
2: So in sports in general, that is that is actually the only field that's organized. Rest of the field is chaotic. But because the reason being, like if there are a couple of things, right? You're doing television, so one of the major sponsorship and exposure comes from broadcast. So that is pretty straightforward because you have television uh, rating ra- rating systems in place. Where uh, at the end of the tournament, uh, brands do get a TVR report to understand what exposure they've gotten from the brand. The number two part is digital. Digital, again, you have enough tools to let them know in terms of what is the exposure they've got from the team on digital. And number three is also it's not exactly quantitative but more qualitative is what is the value these brands are giving to their customers out of the sponsorship so for example like again if you have like cement companies or if you have dealership companies they end up getting these top players which they would never be able to get in in any other circumstances to come and meet their customers and to engage with them now these are experiences that they're giving their customers that they wouldn't get from any other sponsorship so there are qualitative and quantitative measures in place, which are quite formalized, I would say, which also tracks the sponsorship value in the end. And that's how they actually determine that the money that they're paying for an next team, are they getting that value back or not? Then the other thing is you also have enough independent bodies like Nielsen and Havas who do reports every year post an IPL season. And they actually uh, figure out like which which team provides the best value for the sponsors as well. And these are public reports out there. I think you had a question on the sponsorship as well, right? You want me to cover that up right now?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Please feel free. Go
2: ahead. Uh, So in terms of sponsorship for IPL, so there are two entities involved. One is your IPL themselves, and that is the league. And the other is the teams. Now, the league makes money from two main things. One is the central sponsors. So in this case, what happens is the revenue that they get, so this is your Vivo and uh, Vivo and stuff, right? In this case, what happens is that the revenue is divided into 60, 40, 60% and 40% ratio, where 60% of the funds are distributed amongst the teams and 40% of the funds are then taken by BCCI. The second part is uh, media rights. One of the biggest media rights deal that happened was the star deal for five years with IPL. And again, that is also divided in the 60-40 ratio again. Now, this is this has this this has been a quite a big relief for the teams because IPL teams hadn't been profitable for the longest period of time. So the central revenue pool coming in guarantees them an X amount of revenue each year, which has been very, very which has been a massive relief for the teams now that is for ipl themselves now coming to the second part of it is the how the teams make money so teams also have an x number of things so one is your team dedicated sponsors which is which has which happens on their jerseys so it's a front back of shirt pants sleeves etc the other thing is also ticket sales. Ticket sales is a massive revenue, though it's not going to be in Dubai, but uh, in India, it's a massive revenue for them. So in this case, how it works is that they work with the associations, home grounds, that is, and uh, they, make, they do the deals with uh, ticket, ticket websites. So like your book, my show, Ticket Genie, etc. And that's how the revenue is generated there. Merchandise sales uh, it's massive again for especially for the top teams like MI, uh, Mumbai Indians, KKR uh, and stuff and obviously the prize money and again the prize money in the end is given to the team which is then further distributed to the players as well so the minimum amount of money that they need to distribute is I think around 50% but teams can give over 50% as well to the players. And the new thing that's happened in the last two, three years is the player trading. So before the auctions, we have seen enough players being traded. So I think that happens for a minimum compensation, but nobody knows the money. They never That money is never public. So we won't know. And then obviously you have on-ground sponsors. So like at the stadium, you have stalls where the teams money uh, earn money from. And then like any other thing, you also have barters. So a lot of teams get barter from, say, hospitality partners, like the hotels they're staying in, the the cars they're traveling in. Or in general, barter sponsors are also like hoardings and advertising spaces. So, in a nutshell, that's what it is. And the other money also that they make is by selling stakes. The recent one being Delhi Daredevils uh, or Delhi Capitals, where they sold the stake from GMR to GSW.
1: I didn't. I didn't realize that uh, you know IPL is like. I'm just reading it up right on Wikipedia. It says IPL is what about about six billion. Yes. Brand value of IPL in 2019 was six billion. Yes,
2: it is the most uh, profitable league in the world.
1: Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there is like
3: related to that. I had a question since it's it's so valuable as a brand. It's like what six billion is the most profitable league in the world. How hard is it to to chase brands? Like, does it sell itself, or are they? Uh, is there a significant amount of sales that are um, getting brands so on?
2: So it depends. I if you are an MI, KKR, or the top ranked teams like CSK, the sales efforts are much easier. But if you are the bottom of the table, mm. it does take a lot of convincing. Especially And obviously, the value of sponsorship between the top ranked and the lower ranked teams is much different. So that's where the whole independent body reports come into play. That's your Nielsen and Harvest reports, where uh, even obviously the brand managers are also mm-hmm. seeing those reports to understand the value of the team. So, yeah, that's where it is at. And the other thing also depends upon the kind of sponsorship you're selling. Like for lower ranked teams, selling the front of share becomes very difficult. Again, if they lower their price down to something, then it still becomes easier. But there's a lot and lot of negotiations that go into play. So I wouldn't say it's easy, but it all depends upon the team and how they're ranked.
3: Considering that, I'm assuming it was a lot harder for, say, some of the tier two teams that had come in in the middle of the IPL some time ago. Where I'm guessing because uh, they couldn't get... Because the fact that they come from tier two cities and they can't be compared with a city like, a, say, a Bombay or a Delhi, that could have also led to those teams not um, surviving. So this
2: was, I would say this was at the start of the IPL where the states made a big difference. Hmm. But uh, in the end, you have just eight teams. So if I'm from, say, a state say like UP, and if I don't have a team in my, I'm still supporting the other team. I think right now, with the way IPL is structured Mm. and the way it's marketed, it's all become the game of players. Like I might not be a Bangalore fan, but as a brand, even if I'm catering to Rajasthan as a market, and if I have the money, I would go for RCB because I get free rights to using Virat Kohli on my brand product. So I think it's also about deriving value through players Mm. and that's where the maximum money comes from.
1: So I have uh, I have one question, right? Like uh, IPL has been around for what a decade now. Uh,
2: more than a decade, uh, twelve years. I think the twelfth season. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's okay. fairly long time, right? So, but somehow I think the idea, or the if I remember correctly, the idea behind IPL was you know something on the lines of, or maybe taking inspiration from your. Uh, football leagues and so on and so forth right to have uh, a league of our own but i still see that you know uh, i am not a football follower but my friends who are uh, i think the whole fanaticism fanaticism of a football fan is probably 100x compared to a ipl fan and uh, somehow i think a football fan is always more uh, loyal to the the you know the team or you know the to club, the or the club or the that, that belong yeah, to, to the club or he follows versus I think IPL is for me still very uh, largely driven by those key individuals, right? So a Kohli fan will probably be a Kohli fan, irrespective of him moving from. I mean, it's 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 a whole different thing if he moves from RCB to something else or not. But you know, a Dhoni guy, for example, is always going to be a Dhoni fan. Yeah. So do you think do you think IPL will ever reach that point, or it already has reached that point where you know it's no more about the individuals, but it's actually the club or the league?
2: So uh, from this perspective, I would say that I kind of disagree with that statement because I work with the fans very, very closely. It's a different level of fanatism. Like it's crazy, crazy fanatism. And also I would say that the comparison is not entirely uh, justified because uh, EPL has been there for how many years now? I think it's been there for almost, I don't know. I don't know when EPL started, but it's been there. It's been around for decades and decades and decades, even before IPL ever came into picture. Now, the other thing, coming back to loyalty. There is, the loyalty differs again. I'll come back and I'll keep telling this throughout this entire conversation that you cannot look at IPL as eight teams. You have to break those teams down further because there is lower, uh, there's lower lower ranked teams and higher ranked teams. Chennai, for example, I you would be surprised. Their following is actually one of the best you'd see and I would say best better than even football teams. So in 2018, when the season came back, Exactly. Uh, when Chennai came back after the ban, their their home ground was Pune, which was a big yeah, dent for I them remember. because obviously they yeah. were looking for home ground support. They used to get trains filled with trains, fans yeah. all the way to Pune. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't a marketing gimmick. These were fans who were ready to do it. I know Chennai fans who have paid money themselves just to do things for the team. I I I talk to the fan clubs and everything as well. They do. I in fact spoke to the own CSK fan club is one of the best fan clubs actually. And I was talking to the head of the fan club and I actually asked him like, uh, you know, is the team asking you to do all the efforts you guys are doing behind the behind the club? And they were said no, this is all because we love the team. Same thing with Kolkata fans. So I think we are as a country so culturally different that it all depends on the states as well. Now Delhi, for example, right? Delhi's always had a problem with getting fans on board. Reason being that Delhi uh, is a very multicultural place. There are a lot of people who have come from different states over there. So that kind of connect is not there for them for Delhi. Rajasthan, again, it's a very different state, not influenced by sports. So you will see a different kind of thing. But again, if you see Chandigarh and Punjab, they are they are mad they're mad fans of the club so it all depends on what you're looking at because in india you cannot treat india as one country we are a million country packed into one
1: yeah no because i was always i always used to wonder that you know that madness which i see amongst my friends who are you know a chelsea fan or a xyz fan i think that's like i mean i I don't know that loyalty. I don't. For
2: a social media manager, let me tell you, for IPL, like IPL, social media managers should be given therapy after every season is after every season is over. Because trust me, the fans can literally rip you apart if you don't listen to them. They are that passionate about their club. They will be very nice to you if you're performing well, and they will really suck the happiness out of you if the team is not doing well. So they are very, very passionate. Not in the terms of just liking the club, they are passionate in terms of even criticizing the club as much as well, and they will like one club only. While there are player, while there are people who follow a club for players, but maximum people are liking because of the club as well.
3: So, is there an? This could be my lack of knowledge, but is there like a a female version of the IPL on the cards? Uh, Yes. So they started
2: that since last year, but not as a full-fledged tournament. It was just, I think 10 matches. 10 matches or so. So they started that mm. last year. And good thing is that they're doing that this year as well. And it's happening in UAE right before the IPL starts. So I think that is going oh, to be so,
1: good. So do they have like, you You have same eight teams? For the-
2: uh, no, you don't have, I, I don't think you have full-fledged eight teams. But I don't know what the format is for this year. Last year, they did it more like an exhibition. This year, the details are still awaited on that one. But they are. Uh,
3: that'll be. That'll yeah, be but
2: the thing is, again, okay. right? See, um, you can't just expect BCCI to be the only one who's who's adding to this. You need to, like I mentioned, it's the ecosphere. Mm-hmm. You need to also do something with the sponsors. See, if there's no money trickling in, BCCI cannot do this for too long.
3: That makes sense. But yeah, I didn't even know about this. Now that you brought it up, I'm definitely- so
2: even. Um, yeah, right?
3: it, but yeah, it's I interesting that, that
1: you're saying that BCCI needs uh, money trickling in. While they, if I'm not wrong, while they're still the richest board. Uh, that's why uh, that's, that's why I use the
2: word women before cricket. That's where money starts to th- you start thinking about money. Go ahead. Uh, you, you so so about yeah, about like this? you know, when we we're talking about Australia, just to bring the point back on the IPL bit and women, if you talk about like, see Big Bash League, right? Big Bash League has been doing a women's Big Bash League. Mm-hmm since forever. And it's been quite a successful league, actually. It's been very interesting. And even Indian players go and play there. So I have a feeling that India is uh, laying that foundation that when the time comes and sponsors are ready, we have a league of our own that's going to be equally good or probably better.
3: How far away do you think we are from
2: so, that? So, um, if you see the it's 2017, I think the last to the last, last World Cup. If you see 2017 World Cup, right? Um, when uh, Mithali and Mithali was a captain back then for the Indian cricket team. And when they were at the World Cup, they did it phenomenal. Like, that's when I actually saw people in India sitting, in, sitting glued to the televisions watching women's sport. In, in the last decade, I had never seen that mm-hmm. happening. For me, I thought that's when the change would happen. So, I would say we are very slow and we need to start thinking about this more seriously because how long are women cricketers going to continue doing this and not owning money and again like you are also discouraging future talent from coming to the field if you're not thinking about this now
3: one i just yeah. would love to get your perspective which is uh which sport in india has uh, a higher concentration of women at this point um i
2: I mean statistically speaking, probably I wouldn't know that, but if I were have to apply logic it I think it is cricket
3: it's cricket mm. Mm-hmm. Because my next connected question to that was going to be, um, yeah, like from a branding sponsorship visibility point of view, which is the first female sport um, that could uh, so, uh, come uh, into the limelight and so become, the
2: other thing what happens is right now if I have to compare sports, now badminton is a very solo one person individual driven sport exactly, cricket is yeah. a team sport so again the comparison mm-hmm. is not fair while we are doing far better in badminton since years and mm-hmm. people know the badminton players so I think sponsorship wise also that that becomes more individual driven this becomes more team driven so if I have but infrastructure wise if I have to talk I would still say cricket has better infrastructure than other sports the other sports Mm -hmm. also requires a lot of investment again from a person who's trying to train like cricket is just about picking up a bat and ball and going to a ground and playing but badminton and all require a certain kind of ground certain kind of equipment certain kind of uh, training so I would say even uh, cost and infrastructure given I would say cricket is more mass spread out sponsorship wise I would say again I can't compare team to team, but if I have to compa- compare only athletes, then badminton, and then comes cricket. Team, there's no other sport that has team. I don't. Who, how many of us know women football players in our country? None. I mean, I don't know being in the field, so I should be ashamed of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think
1: in India, it's largely tennis, cricket, badminton, badminton
2: boxing, boxing, thanks boxing. to, um, Wesley. Wesley. boxing, um, and uh, a bit of uh, archery. I would say as well. And chess.
3: Hmm. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of like like women actually uh, being like at the top of their game as sport in India was is badminton. Very closely followed, running followed running by uh, like we, we actually,
2: The first
3: person we know Running. Uh, running is also good, yeah.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah Petusha. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think during the Olympics, wrestling became pretty
2: big. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: big. Dangal. When we. Uh, Thanks to Dangal, when you
3: won the medal. <laughs> Dangal the movie, yeah which is interesting right like once once you start seeing these things around you like exactly. forms of entertainment exactly. through successes as well culturally it becomes a more acceptable thing where you know women can be part But
2: of that's where that's why i said no you have to activate every aspect like we need more women we need more movies mm. on women sports people like we had we had maricom we had Dangal. it's not that we didn't have those movies but we did have but i think it's not enough i think we have enough yeah but
1: it's amazing right like how a movie like Dangal, I think itself has made such a big impact, and in general, right, everybody is now aware of. uh Sling for a woman, yeah. right? I mean, I think that's that's probably made it so much yeah. more yeah. popular. Interesting. I think, so I, I think uh,
2: giving credit where credit is due to India, I think in Olympics, women are still far more recognized in sports. It's from the from the earlier times. But again, that's the thing, right? Uh, Over there also, I think all the athletes are fighting for equal pay. All of those people, all the Olympians have been saying that they're not getting equal pay as the men in spite of winning more medals and if not more, similar kind of medals and achievements. So I think uh, it's just about a well-rounded approach on figuring out as to what we're doing with the women in our industry and what measures we're putting in place for them.
1: So I think we've covered uh, fairly recently well about IPL and sports and women in sports and, and probably some aspects of women in sports right so now now let's sort of uh look at the other the other perspective or the other things right so how about you know how's uh since you belong to the whole marketing space you know yeah. sports marketing partly digital partly on ground partly live yeah. all of it put together pretty much together right so how is it how is it being in that space and you know how challenging or difficult it is to sort of be a part of uh, leading that you know because you have been and you said you've been in the I would say the agency side of business which is maybe not so much on uh, sports but a bit of sports a bit of brands and a bit of everything else but considering your experience with uh, ICC and uh, you know the, the World Cup and so on and so forth how would you sort of rate that and what are your thoughts on that yeah
2: so like I mentioned I started my career with the uh, digital marketing Now, having been in the field, I also realized that, so sports is a very traditionally driven field. It's now getting into the digital mode in the last two, three years. So all the more people don't take, uh, people used to not take me seriously because I had digital experience and they never used to understand what digital was. So one of the things I ensured in my career was to understand the field from all aspects because I know I'll have questions thrown at me that is not going to happen to other people and I need to be ready with an answer. So that's how I placed my field. I, after finishing agency side of things, I went and worked with a complete traditional sports marketing agency, which is all about sponsorships and events and activations. So I understood that side of the business. Then I knew digital is my calling and I knew that digital is going to be one of the bigger things. Going forward, so I obviously came back to it and tried to like, you know, rewire myself because a gap I saw in the industry was that I was talking to people who were traditionally who had a completely traditional mindset. And it was getting difficult for them to, for me to explain then things as to why they should do something on digital. So having that traditional experience really helped to have those conversations with people. The other thing in the field that also is very necessary again is is you need to understand the field holistically. You can't just say like another field. If I am an engineer software engineer, I am a software engineer. If I am a dentist, I'll just know teeth, but or whatever but, else. But
1: if let's say, know. let's say you know, uh, let's say what are the fundamentals, right? How would you differentiate sports, digital? I mean, live sports. Let me be specific: live sports, digital strategy versus let's say a uh, you know a digital strategy for a for a typical brand for that matter. Like, what do you think is you know? Where what is the complexity? Because I, I'm assuming there is a lot more complexity here. But so, you know, what are the three challenges? So the
2: biggest complexity is unpredictability. It's a live sport. You don't have a script in front of you as to how that game is going to be. So you can no matter how well rounded your strategy is, it needs to be adaptable to change. A lot of people get stuck there. They don't know how to go with the flow. And I think one of the biggest things and learnings for me is to be thinking on my feet. Because if somebody's out, you have a very bad game or you have a very good game, your strategy needs to change and adapt accordingly. So the biggest challenge is unpredictability. The second biggest challenge is lack of budgets. So if you see every sports team is very, very tight. The resources, you have resources that are far and few. Your digital budgets will always be low especially even now your digital budgets are lower than marketing or anything as such right so you need to figure out a way to get the maximum exposure with whatever little resources is given to you number three the third point for me in terms of complexity would be is how you have to be out there 24 7 like if a live game is on i have to just constantly be updating something or the other constantly be engaging with people so figuring out that right level of balance in terms of how much to put out there is also quite important because the num the bank. Like at the end of the, of say one IPL season, there is easily some 50 TB of data with every team that they have to, that they have to go through and figure out what to do with it eventually.
1: Got it. Got it. What is the, what is the percentage split you would say, you know, of budgets? Two things, right? One is budget. Second is preference of medium, right? So what is the percentage split of budgets, let's say for digital versus traditional versus anything else that, you know, Um,
2: the... So uh, this again depends upon teams from teams to teams. Say um, like Mwetudin mentioning about the TO2 teams for like that. I like that name, the TO2 teams would probably still look at, uh, say, traditional mediums because obviously TO2 cities are not that penetrated on the platforms that they're looking at, at least till two years ago. So I would say over there, it would be like a 70-30 split where 70% is on traditional mediums and say 20-30% max is on digital. On, say, for other teams, which have much more audience that is much more uh, digital compliant, they they are split with very, say, 40-60. I would still not say that digital has gone above any other field for any other the teams, obviously, the story this year will be very different because of COVID. Yeah,
3: that's a good segue into our next question, which is how are, how is the industry coping with uh, with this situation? And how is their content strategy adopting to, to the times of COVID, considering it's so event driven?
2: So I'll tell you what, like, some brands are doing fabulously well, because one thing that I always sought a challenge in the sports industry was it's very, very event dependent. If there are no events, literally the league or the team or anybody or even athletes have no idea what to post. And one of the things is that off-season becomes extremely important and people used to see no value in it because they thought people are not going to engage. Now that has completely changed right now because technically this whole year is off season for everybody. So one of the things that people are doing and and doing really well, especially say things like say ICC and NBA and even uh, the EPL teams is repurposing their Mm -hmm. back content. Like I was mentioning, there's TBs and TBs worth of data with everybody and the data is gold mine. I have personally shot data with teams, so I know how amazing that video is. But the problem is nobody goes back and mm. sees, it, sees that video. You can easily pull out like 10 pieces, 10, 20 pieces of content out there, which is going to go viral because there's so much content. So I think one factor is a lot of people are looking at repurposing content and repackaging it in a manner to show uh, it could be nostalgia, it could be anything. So that kind of stuff. Number two is the COVID thing is obviously the digital teams are highly pressurized because everyone now thinks that digital is a magic wand and every deliverable should come from digital suddenly. So from sponsorship to everything. So I think digital teams are quite stressed at the moment as to how to do that. Uh, some of them are doing it really well in terms of you know cre- using technology, for example, or using fans to create more content. Or even uh, using, like, say, I, don't know, I remember seeing Liverpool, like, when COVID was completely in, like, right now also it's there. But when it was quite <laughs> massive. <laughs> um, so, LF, uh, Liverpool did, like, a complete Zoom training with all their players on Zoom training together. So, that kind of stuff is, like, mm-hmm. crazy, right? You know, you're, they're doing it in their backyard or in their living room, their dogs popping up in their training. Now, that kind of stuff fans really like. The third thing, like especially for IPL teams, is going to be is they don't know what's going to happen. BCC has not given them any clarity. Dubai is a new venue for them. So they don't know what content they're going to get. So they ha- they are literally going to go with a blank slate coming to Dubai and they'll need people who can think on their feet and tell them, okay, let's just shoot this or let's just shoot this. So I think uh, right now it's all about being agile and adapting to in terms of understanding and seeing what they can create there is no strategy basically for covid for anyone Got it.
3: yeah there, there's no there's no there's no benchmark in the industry right that you can compare against exactly. this is so new for everyone
2: exactly
1: it's going to be very tricky for everybody right now we have to still deliver numbers in all aspects Absolutely. to the sponsors to the viewers to you know everybody like right? all all stakeholders of that ecosystem yeah so it's going to be fairly challenging yes
2: yeah, so because like i said digital is going to be more pressurized from all aspects because everything is going to come on digital you have to do everything on digital now
1: so in general you know how how important are do folks from the sports vertical how closely do they sort of follow data points or in general study data till a very you know detailed level when they come up with their larger digital strategy
2: um in india zilch and it's hardly anything in India. It's more about, okay, let's just get done with it. Let's just make the strategy and let's just see how things go. And then we'll change it mm-hmm. on the way. The, the, it's been changing a bit, but I would not, I wouldn't say that it's changing to the extent that they, not intelligently, it's not changing very intelligently. Like I, So I moved my focus in my career to data since last year for the exact same reason, because I wasn't getting exposure in data in India. And that's what I was doing with ICC as well. And I realized with them, as, with them, like how important it is to have the right tools in place in-house and to look at the right metrics. We are still looking that at the end of the season, do we have the maximum followers? Like do we have more followers in so-and-so team? Uh. Now, these are very, these are all vanity metrics. You need to look at more measurable insights that I, that's going to actually add value to your team. So I would say that's where the disparity lies in India, that we are not looking at the right metrics and not tracking them either it's more a haphazard
1: that's fairly surprising yeah because uh, i think that's pretty much how digital was eight years back ten years back uh, and i mean obviously the medians and modes and tools have evolved but if if there is very little uh, or rather if there's very little consideration to data to sort of formulate the larger strategy then i'm
2: actually yeah. not surprised because i'm not going to take the names but i've worked with all literally all the agencies in Bombay and the top ones, and the people, the content people in their team don't know the difference between reach and impressions even today. And that's quite surprising for me in 2020 that people are not the basic terms people are not aware of. So you and the teams are relying on mm-hmm. their agencies. Now, if agencies are not having data in place, teams are also not going to be bothered because see, remember, when a IPL team it, it, it season starts, we it's like the core member core team is five people. Data is last on their mind because they are already doing 20 teams at that point, 20 things at that point. But US, Australia, even UK for the matter of fact, it's the opposite. Data is everything. They won't move a muscle without seeing why the strategy is given and as to what is the backing of data behind this and reasoning behind this to give the strategy. So, I think it also comes in India, it comes from understanding from the top. I like, and it comes to the first point I mentioned that this, this field is very traditionally driven. Today, even in a lot of this field, digital is being handled by traditional mindset people. So, I think that's where the problem lies.
1: So, maybe uh, maybe it's not so much to do with the agencies, right? It's probably also got to do with what people want to hear, maybe
2: but you know i would say it's also agencies because if you are the custodian of a brand you are also driving the strategy comes from the agency right so if the agent agency is not just a person you're hiring for the heck of it they are supposed to tell you look at data like if I, like if I, when I was working at agency, I remember giving these suggestions to our clients. And if your basic people are not even aware of, or not, they themselves are not looking at data, how are they going to tell people to come and look yeah, at it? Yeah, I
3: people? think the agencies need to be able to stitch a story and explain that to, to the client with so a story.
2: Data. Exactly. exactly. I
3: think companies like Facebook and Google are still struggling to sell the value of stitching a story through data to agencies and a lot of big brands Yeah. in the beginning, it seemed like a very new concept and it's been 10 years since I think they're still struggling with, uh, you know, selling those, uh, those points. Maybe it's gotten better uh, over the years, but uh, I think it's still a
2: it has gotten a bit better because I think also look at the platforms, right? In 2017, when I was at Facebook, that's exactly what I was doing, like mm-hmm. telling people about you to look at data and stuff. Right. And I think platforms have evolved now with data. They've made it simpler initially it was looking at excel sheets now it's about just looking at graphs which is great yeah. but the other thing also is that it gets tedious to go to each platform and look at data that's why you need one consolidated tool where there are there are a lot of them outside but they're also very expensive so mm-hmm. to stitch them in teams budgets at this point is quite it's not it's not a it's not a lucrative thing for teams to do so i think till these data tools do not get cheaper i don't think people in india are going to look at it in such an integral manner
3: mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, since we're talking about Facebook and Google, you worked at Facebook, uh, before, and and what's the shift been like for you to to jump to say the IPL and ICC after that?
2: So, so it's it's been a massive, massive change. To be honest, like <laughs> if you're working, like think of it, you're working for international. So I worked with Indian companies. I'm not going to be like I worked with only international companies. Um, in general, I feel like. You know, when you're working with international companies, they tend to spoil you, especially when you are still in India and you're not going anywhere else because you have a proper system in place. You know, at X number of time, at X time in the evening, you're going to shut your laptop and go back home. But uh, when you're working for an Indian company, you don't have night or day, especially in digital night day weekends nothing like ask aditya when i when i used to work for work uh, when i used to work with his team i used to call him pick up the phone at 12 in the night at sunday and not bother so that's how it works right it's like we are used to working like this so i think mm-hmm. the first thing is also the working culture in terms of timelines in terms of also drawing the line where where does your personal space uh, professional space end and someone's personal space, space starts we don't know mm-hmm. that line at all the other thing I would say that has really helped me work with international companies and I would say my favorite experience is working with different cultures there mm-hmm. is so much to learn like even as like as an Indian working in Indian culture you don't know how to say no You Mm. are just saying yes to everything, whether it makes sense to you or it doesn't make sense to you. It's not necessarily a good thing every time saying yes to everything. And I think that's my biggest learning while working with other cultures. And the other thing also is focus. Like in India, because we work such long hours, our cigarette breaks are two hours, our lunch breaks are three hours, and that's how our day goes. So Mm. like the focus of sitting on your desk Working for, for a particular time period and also like managing your time is also something that's very different from Indian cultures to working with international companies. The other thing, also, is say sports. Like, I can't even compare Facebook to say an IPL team. A reason being, an IPL team is chaos. And that is the nature of the business. It's not just in India. A, a sports team, when a sports event is happening, is going to be chaos everywhere. Because, like I said, there's going to be, you don't know what's going to happen. It's very unpredictable. You're dealing with 20 things at the same time. So, and I like that chaos. I thrive in that chaos. So I wouldn't say anything bad about it, but you need to know how to handle that chaos. Otherwise, it's very easy to get burnt out or even have a breakdown.
3: Where have you seen your biggest learning? Was it working uh, like the limited time that you spent at Facebook? Did you feel like that you learned a lot there compared to the, the time that you spent in the IPL and the ICC?
2: My uh, experience with ICC and say an IPL team was very, very different to what I did with Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that I learned there more or less here or something like that. But mm-hmm. I think uh, working with Facebook is where my I, I realized how important data is. I Mm. think if my experience at Facebook would have not happened, I don't think so. Data would have become such an integral part of my life. And I think I have Facebook to thank for. The number two aspect, I think, is people skills. Uh, Facebook teaches you a lot in terms of people skills, internal and external, especially because I was in the partnerships team. So it helped me understand, provide more clarity to the way I was communicating things. There are different things I take from different experiences. But for me, I think Facebook's view was important for these two aspects.
1: Okay, I think uh, when very, I would say one very different question, right? Like, how do you really stay updated with live sports? I think you, you personally, I mean, I know that you watch, you follow football, you follow F1, you follow cricket, maybe you follow a bunch of other sports, because I see you talking about it pretty much all the time online. That's what that's all you talk about. So how do you sort of, you know, give it so much time because it's a lot of time end of the day
2: uh, okay. can i tell you something like i and i, I think i'm going to get a lot of hate for saying this i haven't watched live sports in 5 months no 6 months
1: <laughs> that's because there are no no not because no. no i'm
2: not I'm, I'm not even kidding not even about because it's covid I rarely watch sports on TV by the way because I don't get the time to watch it on TV uh, because a like if usually I'm if I'm involved in IPL six months is gone and just doing IPL work so the, re- the only way I keep myself up to date is actually being constantly on Twitter and you know that I'm 24-7 on Twitter so it's not about it's not about consuming sports by only sitting in front of the television like you're right I will know exactly what happened last night in every sport not because I went and sat and checked TV or even opened ten thousand apps because i follow the right number of people right kind of people on twitter who i just need to read for like half an hour so one thing that i have really really has helped me in my career from not just sports but also digital point of view is connecting to the right people on twitter and also ensuring that i follow them So uh, one of the shifts I've done in the last one, one and a half years is that I have pivoted my uh, Twitter completely from India. Like I have a limited number of people from India, but I'm following people from, say, South Africa, following people from UK, US, Australia, everywhere. And depending on, say, media and digital and digital folks and sports folks. So that just makes me updated as to where what what is happening, where in the remotest grassroots level sport also I'll know that that just happened in so-and-so country. So I think it's just about what resources you're comfortable with. It's not about spending X number of hours to keep yourself updated.
1: Yeah, makes sense, makes
2: sense. I was saying if you guys want to cover anything related to how the industry needs to be prepared for the post-COVID world.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how the whole ecosystem evolves, right? Yes. I think... uh, there were uh, maybe not now but I think a month back or so there were quite a few videos being put up online as to how people are athletes are training at home or you know how some some smaller venues in different parts of the world have opened up opened up with you know certain restrictions and I think there was that whole news about uh, you know how football also has changed not not the you know EPL that's happening now but you know the whole sizing of the field and so on and so forth one of the the things that's
2: also been very relevant in this case is also how it's given rise to new opportunities in terms of revenue by the way because like you know with the whole e-learning aspect today even like physical coaches and fitness instructors but that's part of sports right how they have now made this into a lucrative money-making option that is to teach things online one is that. Then the other thing is also like esports, yeah, esports and e-gaming. How and how now we have like esports was completely niche, but today it's also one of the most, uh, the biggest money-making field out there right now. So
1: yeah. and like
2: on and the pandemic has helped with a lot of these things.
1: I wonder how this actually even that, that whole ecosystem of fantasy and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. They have also been waiting for sports to sort of get back into action.
3: Yeah, I have a question. Where do, do you think you know people will come back in uh, herds to stadiums once, uh, let's assume that there's a vaccine and everything, and all of this is settled down? Or do you think they've already they'll probably get used to consuming sports through 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 phones on and their TVs and they'll be happy with that?
2: Have you followed Indian news lately? By any chance, just asking this question, uh, Mohit, to you. Have you followed Indian Not news much. lately? Right. People have I've come out to scream Go Corona Go as a bhajan on the streets in thousands. <laughs> so you're telling me that we'll have a problem filling the stadium when Virat Kohli is playing. So that's not going to happen. Uh, we are a cricket crazy nation. No matter what. So people are going to, people are desperate. It's like the people are right now in jails. Or they, you tell them right now, no, the IP will happen in Bancadé Stadium. It will be full by tomorrow. So so I don't So that is going to be a problem. But I think from a marketing perspective, COVID has definitely brought a massive shift to, into the way people are thinking because uh, fans' behavior has changed. People, are, the people initially were not open to doing things online. Uh, they were still wanting to see it in front of the television or going to stadiums. But now you, there's a third medium that is digital which has become extremely popular. So now it's not just a cog in the strategy, it is the strategy. So you'll have to start thinking more versatile things when it comes to digital. Like I was telling, like you know, um, uh, initially, just when the initial parts of the COVID, one of the top videos in sports was marble race. So people are desperate; they are ready to watch anything, and you need to give them such kind of content where they are. It's not about giving them only cricket; they're playing cricket. It's about giving them content behind the scenes also, and that will become extremely mm-hmm. relevant now. So, so that's what it is, and I think if people, the teams and leagues and sports bodies are not prepared now. They are going to be light years behind once COVID is over. So they need to start testing their strategies and keeping themselves compliant from now itself.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I've started seeing a pretty big spike in uh, fantasy leagues as well, which uh, I never thought would hit India. But I think there's an IPL fantasy league. So
2: fantasy was massive in India thanks to Dream11, actually. So I think I would give the entire Mm. benefit to them. So IPL fantasy has always been a big thing but yes you're right that it's become much bigger now the other thing has also become big is uh, live streaming like people just live streaming mm. while watching a game all of these things put together is going to create a very healthy digital revenue options which by the way was never there people uh, brand, mm. IPL teams or sports never uh, never earned from digital it was always a part of the offering for the main sponsorship so I think that's where sales teams need to get back up and figure out where they can give, earn money.
3: I think that's a great point that you make because it's no longer seen as just like a marketing strategy, but it's also like a key revenue source.
2: Yes, I think what's going to be important is to strike the right method of earning that money from digital. It's again, you know, people will try to say, "Okay, do a video karlete hain and ya to do post It's not about that. We are not ten years; like we are not in two thousand ten it's about like giving them value to different things like creating customized content buckets for example, creating properties online for example. So it's about these unlocking value through different kind of innovative uh, suggestions.
3: Cool. I think we covered a pretty wide range of topics from women in sports, IPL, digital marketing, uh, touched a little bit of uh, the sports world post-COVID. So this was super insightful for me so thank you Tazin, for educating us on all of these topics this was this was really helpful
2: thank you it was great chatting with you guys as well yeah so that's good yep
1: thanks Tazeen see you in some part of the world at some <laughs> point wherever whichever sporting event takes you
2: <laughs> once they are back hopefully
3: oh yeah maybe maybe we could do like another session like once the IPL has concluded <laughs> Uh, definitely
2: just to, definitely i think just to see how
3: yeah yeah because there the are a lot of assumptions that i think were made yeah. at this point and uh, it'll be good to see how things have changed, changed or yeah. have been adopted
2: and i think uh, it will all be in, also be interesting to see that in such a challenging environment how the teams have actually taken up the challenge and done it, in, uh, done it and used that in their favor also yeah thank,
1: thank you been... thank
2: you guys it was great talking a to you have
3: a great night and day whoever's day whoever's night in this case you too bye thanks bye Bye. hello
0: and thanks for listening to the podcast hope you enjoyed this conversation a big thank you to Tazeen for doing this and sharing her insights and we look forward to the IPL review with her as well thanks for listening to the podcast as always look forward to your comments on social media we are at baldick on instagram and twitter and we'll catch you in the next one take care and bye bye